Hello everyone. I want to, this is a special day for class because it is the last day of having crappy audio because my new super special microphone is coming in the mail and coming in soon and I'm gonna work with it and the sound it shall be glorious until then you gotta survive another weird almost ASMR creepy quality class of listening to Ramayera talk about random stuff okay so want to take a step away from staring at my face or at a random word document to get you guys thinking about a few things. Now we've got a little under two weeks before the next big essay is coming in through. Let me go through the syllabus yes, and that's going to be on September 18th, Friday. So you got a little over two weeks to work on that particular assignment. I'm putting the final touches on the schedule for all of the classes throughout the semester, at least the basic elements of things that will be done. Again, you don't, you aren't buying a textbook. I'll be sending some readings along the way, hey, through some PDFs and such. But every so, the readings will be minimal. The homework is concentrated on the weekly assignments and a few other small things that we'll work on throughout the day. Hayes ahead. Now, when it comes to the next essay, which is a remembered event, I want to talk about the concept of memory and how it works on a few different things, bring it back to some of the concepts we've discussed so far in class, and let's have a conversation about what it means to remember something. So, try to think about what's going on throughout the last 24 hours. Some things will stick out, and they're super obvious, and they are either an extreme moment of good or extreme moment of bad. A lot of other things throughout the day just sort of a blur. They're just sort of meld into a sequence of emotions best described as Ugh. especially with everything that is going on COVID related and classes and just everything that is going on in the world. Your brain just goes Ugh. for 98% of things. Before this, your brain still did mostly a good job of filtering out and sort of deciding for itself what it meant for something to be worthwhile. What is something worth remembering? And oftentimes how we frame that memory. So think about something memorable. It can be something good, it can be something bad, it can be something neutral, but something memorable that has happened over the last week or so. Some of you will say, oh, Romagera's class on ideology, that was super intellectual and amazing. That just saved my, changed my life entirely. You are lying, but I appreciate the attempt at complimenting the professor for participation points or whatever. 
others will think about an upcoming assignment and how they're freaking out about it. Some of you will think about something that's just cringe-tastical, like how you thought you muted your microphone for a class or a meeting and it wasn't and you were checking something on your phone and your phone made noises of a weird variety and now everyone thinks of you among those lines. Just think about like season one, The Office, levels of cringe. And those moments just sort of stick with you. If you have a certain degree of anxiety, oftentimes your brain is unable to let go of a particularly bad memory. And those sleepless nights, you sometimes end up thinking about, hey, remember that super awkward, embarrassing thing that happened five years ago? Let's replay it in vivid detail. So that brings to mind, why? Why did your brain decide to pick out of all of the memories, all of the events that have transpired over the last week, over the last month, over the last few years, your brain picked those memories. Why? Now, according to certain psychologists, it's the reason why we often think of the bad things is because of aspects of trauma. Essentially, it's like a scar. You get hurt, you bleed, it hurts, it stops hurting, but there's a scar. For your memory, it's sort of like that as well. It heals, but it's also kind of messed up and looks kind of ugly, and it's harder to forget. So think of something like Avatar The Last Airbender, Zuko's scar. So, you know, as much as he wants to forget some things about his life, the scars are there. And every so often, he'll look at himself in the mirror and scar. So it's difficult to let go of certain parts of your past. Same thing with things that are happy. Sometimes you really enjoy one specific memory. And everything else about your life can go into like a blur. That memory stands out. And oftentimes it's not an active choice to remember. Your brain is weird. Every brain is weird. You remember the cringy bad stuff, according to many psychologists, because you haven't really dealt with the emotions that happened thanks to those events. Your brain, which is not as smart as it thinks it is, is trying to figure out what happened. And for whatever reason, and you may or may not have gone to therapy and talked to a professional about this, and you have been able to go throughout some of your memories and make these things better and sort of take control over your memories and the things that your brain is starting to do. I know for me, my brain is sort of hardwired 
just remember and highlight the moments that I mess up. I can have amazing things happen throughout the day, but if, you know, I get a pizza delivery and the delivery guy I says, buen provecho, and I say, gracias, a ti también. I'm like, no, why? And I keep thinking about it the whole day, maybe even for two or three days afterwards. And I just feel like crap over a simple mistake. So, and one exercise that I like to do back when classes were normal and we were all in the all in the classroom and all together was that I'd effectively put on some light music and kind of hypnotize you uh, to the point that I want you to think about different memories of different events that have transpired in your life until I got you to think about your first memory. When you think about the youngest you can remember and something vividly appearing, through all of those memories. For me, when I give the example of that class, it's one time in preschool, I want to say I'm like three or four, and the teacher says that we have to write our name on a piece of paper because we're going to color some shapes or something. And that, that part's not relevant or important, at least not according to my scumbag brain. The key was that I raised my hand and I said, Missy, 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 es que yo no sé escribir mi nombre. For some reason, my brain decided to keep that memory. I went to Disney World when I was a little older than that. I have almost no memories of Disney World. Luckily, my dad took a lot of cringe-tastic home movies of the event, which I am forced to witness every few years. But I had like an amazing childhood, all of these incredible things. I remember almost none of it as vividly as that moment. And when I think about that experience, it's a memory that dictates my first moment of recognizing that I failed. Before I even tried, I was unable to even begin an assignment. And for someone who prides themselves in their intellectual capacity and their academic rigor and trying to be alto honor in every class, whatever, her, that moment sticks out. And it made me realize that my brain will focus on my failures rather than on my successes. Because I know this, I am now forcing myself to try and remember happy things that happen throughout the day, moments of success, moments of productivity, or else my brain will go on autopilot to, these are all the moments you messed up. Let me put them in 
1080p high definition for you to relive. I really hope that's not the case for you. I really hope that your brain is a nice brain and it really wants to highlight good moments in your life. But think about your first memory and why did your brain pick it? Of all of the other memories, it retained its dedicated, you know, memory files to that one moment. And I really hope it's a happy moment. I really hope it's something when you were having a good time with your parents or you were hanging out with your friends or you were trying this cool new food like the first time you ate pizza or something. I really hope that's your first memory because I really wish I had that as something that I can vividly remember. But for some reason, I picked that. And I am predisposed to think about that. And our memories are based a lot of times on our own center of ideology. To go back to that class we took about a week ago, I want to say. When we remember, we're doing it not as a 100% factual true situation. We remember things based on our perspectives. Our perspectives are capable of not seeing things properly. We can misconstrue something. We can forget. We can assume. There's a lot of things that happen when things are going on. So, for example, think about the last time you went outside your house. You had to go grocery shopping or delivering something to a family member, Little Red Riding Hood style. Think about all of the things you did, all of the people you saw with masks, without masks, etc. All of the cars you saw along the way. You know that there are cars and you know that there are people. But did any of them stand out? Did any of the tens or dozens or tens of, or even smaller amount of people that you saw along the way, did any of them stand out? If this were an anime, could you play a identify the protagonist Just with anyone from your memories? of that event. You remember doing stuff. You remember you had, again, the blur. You don't remember the details, but you know that it existed. Now, if you are a standard, you're a guy, you're, you're heteronormative, you see an attractive lady, you remember the attractive lady. You don't remember or that person, or anybody else, you're like, hey, look, a hot lady. Yay. Hey, if you're, hey, or, or you could see a hot guy, or you could see someone ridiculously ugly. The key is that 
your perspective is based on what you find interesting. If you're a fan of old cars, then you saw a really old Volkswagen bus, like you have it from the 70s, and that caught your eye, and that was so cool. If you don't care about cars, you that barely registered. It was just a car. If you know, oh, if there was like, oh look, that person's not wearing a mask. Boo! You need to wear a mask. That caught your eye. If you don't care, you don't care. It's just like people. Same way that like, oh look, everyone's wearing a mask. Huh? I was like, wait a second. That person is wearing a mask that happens to, you know, be a reference to my favorite baseball team. If you like baseball, hey, cool. If you don't like baseball, you don't register it. Your preferences dictate your perspective and what you are going to be looking at. And what will jump out at you? And will it make an impact? Of all the faces in the crowd, which one stands out to you? In movies, we sort of see that with the classic, everyone is blurry except for the one person you are focusing on. That's a trick to get you as an audience member to look at this one character and be like that person is important and that will happen with everything they do it with cartoons they do it with movies they do it with television shows importance is completely different for you than it is for me and what you think is important now is completely different from what you thought was important five years ago and maybe completely different from what will be important to you in five years into the future. Because our perspectives change and what we believe to be important changes. So something that I believe to be important now is completely different from what I thought was important when I was a kid. So, for example, I love food. When I go to trips, I often remember the foods I ate more than the sights, which is cool, but also bad, because I could have just gone to a weird restaurant instead of having to go all the way to Australia to that one Chinese food buffet place that I talk about more than most of the other aspects of my one trip to Australia uh, when I was, I want to say, 20. So, I focus on that. But when I was a kid, yeah, super mañoso. My diet was mostly white rice and chicken nuggets. That was it for most of my meals. You know, I wasn't like paying attention to food until I was like 12, maybe 13. So a lot of the elements of, hey, this is important, don't 
go all the way back to when those memories were first formed. It's complicated, in large part because our sense of the mind exists as both consciousness and subconsciousness. You've probably seen the example of the glacier, a large body of ice up in the Arctic or the Antarctic regions of the world, and it looks like a mountain of ice. And it killed Leonardo DiCaprio. Curse you, Rose. You could have... Uh, both of you could have fed on that door. Still hurts. So, the glacier, the iceberg, is ridiculously big. It's a mountain of ice. But below the water surface is ridiculously bigger. Like, magnitudes larger. You know, what you can visibly notice of it. Your brain, what you think is your brain, your memories, are part of the conscious part of your brain. But the subconsciousness, according to many psychologists and psychoanalysts, is far more complex, far bigger than anything you can do. And part of being a better person is being able to discern and crack the code of some elements of subconsciousness. Spoiler alert, it probably has to deal with issues regarding your parents. Just letting you know, that's probably a thing. It happens to everybody, regardless of whether or not they had amazing parents or childhood or any of those other cool things. Everyone has issues with their parents and they translate into different aspects of how you see the world. Now, same thing with phobias, something that might have happened to you when you were a kid, kid, and it really didn't make sense, sort of morphs and turns into a bigger thing later on. For example, I know a lot of people that have a fear of clowns, and turns out that, you know, after you do some psychological digging, they, they had a birthday party and they invited the clown, but the clown was drunk and they made a mess of the whole thing. And that really messed up, not just the birthday kid, but also all of their friends that came to visit as well. So suddenly the whole kindergarten class is afraid of clowns. And what I'm trying to say is that the way we build memories we don't have much control over them. They're just sort of there. And it's important to figure out why is it that your brain is paying more attention to some memories rather than others. And you can sort of hack your brain by forcing it to remember different parts as well. So... Um, there are different ways to do that. Key elements is that you try to integrate other senses into what is going on throughout the day. Okay? And that way you paint a more interesting picture in your mind of something that went on. So, for example, hey, I saw 
someone that looked cool. Okay, what made them look cool? Oh, they were wearing a t-shirt from my favorite band. Okay, cool. What did they look like besides the shirt? Okay, what was going on when you saw them? Um, let's try and add as many feelings as possible to the experience. And you integrate the five senses. Was it particularly hot? Was it particularly humid? Was there a wind coming along? Did you feel cold? Oh, that kind of thing. Or something as simple as like, I was really thirsty. So I could feel like my mouth being extra dry when I saw someone was carrying around an ice-cold blue Gatorade. And, ah, that brings back memories. And suddenly you start thinking about all the other times that you were, like, ridiculously thirsty and you just found the vending machine and you just drank a whole Gatorade in under 12 seconds. Something like that. You... What was going on at the time helps fuel your perspective. If I'm, you know, taking a walk while playing Pokemon Go, yes, I still play Pokemon Go. They're doing cool things with Mega Evolutions now. It's amazing. It's not, but it's, it's fun. Now, when it comes to, if I'm walking around playing Pokemon Go, I'm not paying that much attention to my surroundings things unless we're getting a bunch of people together to fight in a super raid, that kind of thing. And of those people, which one stood out? Was it the person who spoke the loudest? Was it someone who had a weird laugh? Was it the person who clearly hadn't showered and you could smell them? Was it the person that looked surprisingly cute and you were like, like, oh, I want to talk to you because you're so cute, but I'm also scared and shy. Right. Or, you know, was it someone that was wearing a sweater that just made you feel itchy and sweaty? It's like, who wears a sweater in Puerto Rico? That kind of thing. Integrates all of the senses when it comes to building your memories. Add additional layers to establish what they work on. Now, when it comes to your memories, in particular for your upcoming essay, as I mentioned before, one way to think of what's a possible Hapsilic Kaiten is to go throughout your room and sort of hold on to different things, Marie Kondo style, see what sparks joy, find the sparkiest of things. And Again, you got you got to be in the mood for it. If you've got a lot of things in your brain, you're not going to allow yourself the space to let those memories flow. So remember when I mentioned that sometimes your brain picks one memory, a really good memory, and just sort of forgets about everything else. So think about that moment that you're like, Hey, you know what I haven't done in a while? Spoken to my ex or that one crush 
who clearly wanted nothing to do with me. I wonder what they're up to. And your brain only thinks about the nice things. It doesn't remember how the person ghosted you, how they want nothing to do with you, how all other negative experiences go by. They become part of the blur. The good stuff suddenly shines through. Why? Because you are in a moment of your life when you want to feel happy. So you will focus on the happy things. And there are moments in your life when you feel like crap. So you focus on all the sad things. And you want to basically establish that these emotions are valid by sort of going deeper into the spiral of depression or happiness, etc. So you start listening to music that is of the equivalent style of the emotion that you're thinking. Sometimes you need a good cry, so, you know, you're suddenly remembering about a bunch of crap stuff, so it's like the anniversary of a horrible event that happened in your life. Sometimes the memory just comes in and if you try to push it away, it just keeps getting tougher to hold back. I'm rem- it brings to mind a quote, I want to say it's from like some special Buddhism, but it was actually part of an episode of a cartoon called Double Dragon, which was based off the uh, arcade game of the same name from many years ago. And it was this character who was essentially being tortured. And they wanted to fight through it. But they remembered their master's teachings. And was like, okay, no. You need to think of pain like a river. If you try to go upstream, it'll just tire you out entirely. You won't get anywhere and you find yourself drifting down even worse. When, If you think of it like a river and you need to get through it, you just need to let it wash over you and, let, and go with the flow until you let the emotions get out of you. The problem with a lot of people is that they mess up in the letting go and thus they will replay the exact same river they will step back into that river of sadness even after going through the motions and, and surviving it and oftentimes it's because you've built an emotional path that will eventually lead to that point and you need to figure out a different way to do that Think of that one person you know who had a horrible breakup and six months later they're still talking about how sad everything happened that was. And it wasn't like a super horrifying abusive relationship. It was just a crappy person that they were with for a long time. And everyone for like a month is like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And after that it's like, yeah, I get it. But then you move on. 
and you focus on other things in your life. And for some people, they sort of become obsessed with this. And it's hard to let go. And thus your memories stay there. Other people, they focus on the one positive thing and everything else just sort of gets lost along the way. So think about when you're looking for your Hapsalikaitan. It might be something that has a lot of complex memories attached to it. So think about... So I have, besides my dice, I have an interesting Hapsalikaitan which is a un peluchito de un pollito that I got at like a mini Comic Con uh, about 10 years ago. And my original plan was to give it to my grandma, who was about 90-something at the time. I'm, and I want to be like, hey, this is a super, super soft toy. Whenever the great grandkids come by, you can... They can play with this, and hopefully they will stay away from the priceless porcelain figures and all of the other ridiculously fragile things. And interestingly enough, Grandma sort of kept it and stuck around with it. And I had moved to Rhode Island around the time. And so she kept the little pollito as something to remember me by. And luckily, Grandma, her, her brain was super good. So, you know, it wasn't like something like dementia, which has these horrible aspects when it comes to memory. And when my grandma got sick, I traveled down from Rhode Island to see her. And one thing that I wanted to do was to take the pochito to the hospital so that she could have it with her as something nice and fuzzy to help her throughout her days. And turns out that she clung to that for a long time. And months later, she passed away. And, you know, the, no, I kept Pojito because it reminded me that it was something small and insignificant but it made a difference in her life especially in her most painful days even when I couldn't be there that pojito helped her to remember me and focus on happy memories I'm not saying you're Absolutely, needs to be that powerful a thing. Because again, for me, it reminds me of happiness, but it also reminds me of a lost loved one. So it's a complex emotion. And it's extra complex because I lent that pojito to a friend of mine when her their mom went to the hospital like out of nowhere. And they were going through a horrible time. I was like, look, this helps my grandma go alongside, and it, I think it'll help your mom. Don't ask me how, just, it's, it's really special to me. Please keep it, and keep it safe. I've, I haven't seen Polito since, 
and it's been like two years from that, but the mom got way better, and for some reason, the mom was going through horrible things, had her two kids with her, her at the hospital, I stopped by for 30 minutes to deliver the bojito and try and help out, help and give some like positive uh, feedback and just like a nice little thing, thing to help my friends survive such a horrid day. Their mom rem remembers me being at the hospital and helping her for 30 minutes and not her kids being there for three hours or longer throughout the entire time. Your brain is weird. What you remember is based on what your brain decided was worth remembering at the time it happened. The way it constructs those memories are even weirder because it'll often replay it kind of like a movie and not through a first-person perspective point of view, which is what you're supposed to be doing. That memory that I told you, whenever I replay it in my head, I see it like a movie. And I see little me there. And it should be a point of view perspective of what's going on. And I, my subconsciousness created a proxy of me to be projected onto my brain because it feels more real when you see yourself as part of the memory as opposed to seeing it through your own eyes which makes no sense at all, and yet that's how it works. People who study psychology professionally can explain this way better than me, so I hope this is making some degree of sense. So, when it comes to your hapsilic chitin, go through your stuff. Find something that sparks joy, Please, you've got enough sadness in your life. Pick something happy. Pick something that you can write something happy about and describe it and be able to add particular moments to it. Ask people who knew about it and why it was important and to you at the time. So, for example, if it's like your first peluche and you're like, I remember this. And it was nice, but I don't remember anything specific about it. And you can ask a family member, yeah, oh, you used to carry that thing around for forever, and you'd make it play with you, and you'd ask me to do a funny voice for it. That kind of thing. And sorry. Um don't don't pick the sad thing. Don't pick the thing that your ex gave you that you thought was going to be so amazing thing but it turned out being horrible and you can't force yourself to throw it out not for whatever reason and don't pick that pick something that makes you go hmm that's nice there's a lot of horrible things out there in the world you you should focus on things that make you go hmm that's nice some of you, you've kept those artifacts, you've kept souvenirs, you've kept something that helps build upon those memories. For others, it's just, you know, you, Facebook says, remember on this day 10 years ago when your goldfish died? 
right here, have a reminder in the picture. They're like, oh, I see. There's some weird stuff that Facebook throws out there. Other times that you have no idea what you was referencing. Because again, you're not designed to remember everything. Your brain would literally stop working if everything was captured in the same way that my the classes are captured onto Google Drive folders. It just takes forever and a lot of space and the processing power just sort of goes away. Your brain decides this is worth remembering. Try and figure out why. And why is it that this one thing that you may or may not even still have is worth a special subsection of your conscious and subconscious identity. I hope some of this made sense. For If you're like me and your memory isn't the best thing, one thing to think about is something called memory tracing. Essentially, you have... So think about the last time you had a conversation with a friend and you talked about like a hundred different topics. When you get to the end of the conversation, try to trace back everything that led to that subject. All of the transitions, all of the things that made you remember this to that to this to that to this to that to this. This and it takes a while because you're not used to it. But it's an interesting tactic to sort of recognize how your brain goes from topic to topic. I think um, oftentimes it's just a key word that will sort of like come out and be immediately connected to something else. So for example, when I was saying from topic to topic, for some reason my brain started thinking about hot topic, which started getting me thinking about Funko Pops, which got me thinking about how most of my Funko Pops are in the office, and I hope they're okay. Especially that one Funko Pop that was like a super rare collector's edition because it was Okoye with a removable wig from Black Panther, which got me thinking about Chadwick Boseman, which got me thinking about sadness in Wakanda forever. All of that, just from me saying from topic to topic. My brain went on a tangent of that particular path. It made no sense. I had to make it make sense by thinking about it, by verbalizing it, by establishing the reasons for it. You know the emotion. Oftentimes, you have trouble putting words to emotions. You hold your hapsalic chitin and you go, mm-hmm. You're having a horrible day because everything colegio and the whole world and the only emotion that can describe it is ah! Use words. Apply logic. And verbalize what you're feeling and thus you are able to identify it and connect it to something more. 
whenever you want to build memories, whenever you want to make something that's truly memorable, like if you're designing a birthday party for a loved one or an anniversary or just something really special, try to engage with as many senses as possible. It's so easy to forget a face in the crowd. It's harder to forget the face in the crowd who was also being super loud. It's also so hard to forget the person who, you know, accidentally brushed your hand and you saw them while they were singing a Britney Spears song. And it just goes from there to there to there. Build memories. If you want to create something truly memorable, you know, give people some a show, not just that they can see or they can hear, but something they can feel, something they can taste, something they can smell. That's why, you know, people use scented candles whenever they want to make a room feel special. Because you're engaging the other senses. And it's not something that can be easily erased. Because you're making far more points of connection. And the same way that one word can trigger a form of memories. Same thing with sights. Same things with smells. Same thing with tastes. One of my favorite villains in all of literature is from a webcomic called Order of the Stick. And it's Zykon the Sorcerer. Zykon the Sorcerer drinks horrible coffee every day. Why? Because the taste is the worst thing in the world. But in tasting it, he'll go back in his mind and think about all of the great cups of coffee he's ever drank. If you drink good coffee, you're focusing on that one moment. If you're drinking bad coffee, you're trying... Your mind goes to every other cup of coffee before it to compare it to what you're currently experiencing. Later on, the guy turns into a lich, which is basically a skeleton zombie, and is unable to taste anything, and that sort of makes him go berserk and kill a bunch of people. So, you know, it's an interesting aspect of how we build memories and how we determine what's important and how we can trigger memories. Triggering memories is surprisingly complicated. It's why suddenly the memory comes in as opposed to you forcing yourself to try to remember, if that makes any sense. Now, it's, it's, this has been a long time of hearing me talk. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, and I hope the day is worth remembering in a good way. Take care. Until next time.